Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to When Opportunity Knocks, and I'm your host, Nancy O'Keefe, and this week we're going to be interviewing yet another guest talking about how we can increase our value in the marketplace. And today we're very fortunate to have Catherine Johns with us. And Catherine is a person who has been a radio announcer in her own right and had her own show. She's also a professed one-time wallflower, which after meeting Catherine, I really have to ask her about. But she is a person that business owners and professionals turn to when they want to get more clients and have more impact and make more money because she is all about a powerful presence. And we're going to talk with her today about how you can have a powerful presence uh, in your business and in your life. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you, Nancy. Delighted to be with you. And I'm delighted to have you. Now, I have to ask you, you as a wallflower, tell us a little bit about that. I... <laughs> Hard to believe, isn't it? Hard to believe. But, well, and it supports my theory that a powerful presence can be cultivated, learned, and developed, that people are not necessarily born with or without charisma, um, that charisma is something that you can acquire. I was a very shy kid, and I have a vivid memory of Kathy Kirshner's mother telling me, don't worry, you're just a late bloomer. Ew, <laughs> who wants to be a late bloomer? I never liked Kathy Kirshner's mother. But setting that aside, um, I did actually bloom, and some of that had to do with going through the proverbial school of hard knocks, right? And some of it just had to do with learning from the right people. And I think anybody can make that kind of shift. So even people who seem to be often overlooked or underheard um, can change that. Excellent. So maybe we should back up and just sort of tell people what you mean by presence. So I define presence as what people see when they look at you, what people hear when you speak, and how they feel when they're around you. So presence really exists in the eyes and ears of the people around you. Um, We have presence or don't because of how we're perceived by other people. And all of those things, all those dimensions, what they see, what they hear, how they feel around you, can all be changed intentionally, if you're inclined to do that. So charisma isn't something that you're born with. You have to really cultivate that. Um, you know, I think though, there are some, I'm going to say there people are some have people it. who yeah. just seem to be naturally, like you'll meet kids every now and again who just stand out, you know, like the sun comes out when they walk in the room. Um, but I think it's rare. It's kind of like being born with a talent to play the piano. It happens. There are child prodigies. But for most people, they get good at the piano because they practice. So what's the number one thing you would tell people they should look at about themselves and work on to start the process of having a very powerful presence? So here's the the bottom line about presence. You can't have it if you're not present. 
Ah. I know I know that sounds kind of obvious, like you want to slap your forehead and go, duh. But it it's actually true. And the fact is, Nancy, that most of us walk through most of our day not really present. So my mind and my emotions can be, and they often are, a thousand miles away. I'm here talking to you, but I'm thinking about what I'm going to cook for dinner or the fight I had with my husband this morning or that big project and the client who's waiting or whatever else, right? There's a swirl of stuff going on for each one of us all the time. And if we get taken by that swirl, there are emotions that go with it. I think about what am I going to cook for dinner, and then I start worrying about, oh, I burned the dinner last night. What if it happens again? Or I think about the client who's waiting for a project, and I begin to imagine that the client is already disappointed in me, and I get that knot in my stomach. And so I'm off to the races, right, about something that hasn't even happened yet and may not happen. And we go through life like that. Um, I have researched this and found different estimates, but they kind of come they settle in around 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day that the average human being has. And most experts will tell you that the majority of those thoughts are negative. They're self-critical. They're self-doubting. They're, they're the remnants of every bad thing that's ever happened to us since that really embarrassing incident in third grade. And so when we're carrying all that around with us, no wonder it's hard to be present The antidote for all of that is to be in my body because while my thoughts can be in the future or the past and my emotions can be right with them in the future or the past, my body can only be right here right now. And to the extent that I can actually inhabit my own body, I can become present. So can you give us a little tip or a trick we can use to make sure we're focused and grounded in our own body? And you just nailed it when you said, (laughs) yep, you just nailed it when you said grounded, Nancy, because that's where I start with my feet on the floor. And the reason is, ultimately what I want people to connect with, and when I work with my clients, they they get connected to a power center that's in the middle of their body. Um, Asians refer to it as the dandian or or hara in Japanese. It's the, the lower abdomen right below the navel. And, and mm-hmm. when we're in that power center, when that's our center of gravity, we're really present. In my experience, most Westerners have trouble accessing it because it's just unfamiliar. We spend our lives stuck in our head with all of our energy swirling around our head and shoulders. You know, if you watch people walking down the street or walking through a hallway in an office, you'll notice that many, many of us walk leaning forward or with our heads kind of thrust forward so our neck is extended and our head we are literally getting ahead of ourselves mm. how about it isn't that interesting so it is interesting if i come back yeah so i so we're so unfamiliar with this lower center of gravity for many people it's hard to access but feet on the floor is is the way to get there because it's concrete or it's Maybe it's water, maybe it's carpet, but the point is it's solid, right? I can actually feel my feet on the floor. And when I start mm-hmm. with that and then sense the energy coming up, I can actually, you could do this with me now. I'm sitting in a chair in my office. My feet are flat on the floor, and I'm actually sensing almost pressing a little bit down into the floor. And that turns on the muscles in my legs, and I feel that energy. It travels all the way up. And without even thinking about it, I begin to straighten up a little bit, 
So whatever slouching or leaning I've been doing, I, I naturally begin to come out of that into a more aligned place. And when I'm aligned and when I'm grounded, I can be fully present right here, right now. And that is the best way for me to have presence, to project a presence. It's also the best way for me to be present to you. So, so if my really goal is... Go ahead, I'm sorry. It's really about being solid in your core. It's absolutely about being solid. So for anybody who's done yoga, um, mountain pose might be familiar. And mountain pose is about being solid. And yet, in our interactions with other people, we also want to be flexible. So when I say getting grounded, I don't mean to be dug into my position or to be completely immovable like stone. But it is to be grounded, present, and not easily uh, pushed aside or pushed over. Mm -hmm. Solid but not rigid. Yeah, good way to put it. You know, it's interesting to me when you talk about we're getting ahead of ourselves, even in our posture as we're walking. So many of us now are walking along with our head down, doing something with some device uh, on the phone, texting, something. Um, None of us are very present. It seems to me that uh, we live in a world where we have to uh, really focus on a lot of things at the same time. And it's really hard to be present in any one of them when you do that. Yes, and I wonder, when you say that, Nancy, I wonder if we really have to be present in a lot of, or focused on a lot of things at the same time. We choose that, but I'm not sure that it's always necessary. Um, and I think sometimes it's just a default thing. Like I'm in the habit of picking up my phone if there's any lull in activity to check my email or play around on Facebook. But I don't really have to do that. No. Although I have a couple of clients that are in a line of work where they really feel like they have to be attached. And again, it is a choice, but um, the things that we do to ourselves to sabotage our efforts in this regard is, I think it's really interesting and very clear. You know, I've been experimenting with something recently as part of a, a, this is getting a little bit off the side. You don't mind if I take a tangent for a minute, do you? Not at all. (laughs) Okay. So this is part of a spiritual pursuit about this notion of presence. And we've been experimenting with the idea of being fully present when we eat a meal. And I realized when I started this um, experiment that I am rarely fully present when I eat a meal. If I'm eating by myself, I'm inclined to be watching television or more likely reading a book or the newspaper, or I've got my tablet out and I'm watching, you know, playing around on Facebook while I eat. I don't ever just eat. So I've been practicing just eating a meal, being present for that meal. And, and in a sense that engenders a certain gratitude for the meal without distracting myself with devices and magazines and newspapers and books. It's a challenge. I'll bet. But you know what? I don't even think that's a tangent. I think that's a great exercise for people to start noticing how present or not present they are and something we could all easily practice to help ourselves get grounded. Sit down in the chair at the dinner table, do the steps that you mentioned about bringing your energy up through your legs and then sit there and try to stay present through your whole eating experience. What a great exercise. 
It is. And it and I'm just gonna tell you for me, very, very challenging. And yet I say that I like food. Right? I like mm. to cook, I like to eat, I like the taste, I like the texture, I like all of that. And so why would I then distract myself from it by focusing on reading today's newspaper or something? I mean it doesn't make any sense really and yet right. it's a strong habit for me and, and probably for a lot of people. So yeah, yes, those I'm- are I'm the same way. The TV's on or I'm playing with my iPad and taking bites in between. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so interesting to just, you know, when you eat, just eat. And likewise, then, in terms of how do we have more of a presence um, in our professional life, what if I were to approach a meeting with a colleague or a client in the same way, to fully be present right there in that moment? listening with my with the whole of myself instead of, you know, fractured so that my attention is partly on this client and partly on the next meeting I have and the next fire I'm going to have to put out. Or even what you're going to say next. Mm. It's the hardest well, thing, isn't it? It is. It really is. All right. Well, and you mentioned something about confidence, and I'd like to get back to that point in a minute. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return with Catherine, we're going to explore how what charisma has to do with being confident and what being solid in your core has to do with being confident. And we'll be right back. I'm looking for a certain kind of woman, and I think you know her. She's an entrepreneur that is highly connected, successful, significant in her own industry, and considered the go-to woman in her community. She's received so much from so many women in business, she's ready to give back to others on their journey, lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey, and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of or know someone we should talk with, send an email to managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. That's managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. And let's start the conversation. If operating your small business has you stressed, impacts your health, chips away at your relationship, and eats up all of your free time, Simple Small Business Solutions can help you implement business systems that make running your business easier. Whether you're trying to make more sales, struggling to get your marketing done, or want better information to manage your business, we can help. Visit us at simplesmallbusinesssolutions.com. Are you tired of playing small in business or in your career? What could you accomplish if you were seen, heard, and given the opportunity? If you want more influence, more impact, and more income, join us at Women's Leadership U. That's the letter U. We are a mastermind program dedicated to preparing women for leadership roles. Learn the skills that employers are looking for and business owners need. Gain the confidence and know how to move your ideas into action. To learn more, visit us at womensleadershipu.com with a capital U. This is the EWN Radio Network. Mm. 
Okay, we're back, and we're visiting with Catherine Johns, who's an expert about presence. She's an author. She's got a great book called Show Up and Shine, which we'll talk about a little bit. And in the last segment, Catherine, we talked about being solid in your core and really being present. And it seems to me that being solid also has something to do with confidence, doesn't it? Absolutely. When I was doing the research for Show Up and Shine, I came across um, a project that was done at Harvard Business School that people are now pretty familiar with. You may have heard and your listeners may have heard of Amy Cuddy, who teaches in the business school at Harvard. She's a social psychologist. And she did a TED Talk about what she calls power poses that grew out of her research in the graduate business school. And I was thrilled when I came across that. Now, Amy Cuddy is quite good at speaking for herself, so I will just mention she can be found at, on TED. If you search for Amy Cuddy at C-U-D-D-Y, you'll find her talk. But I can give you the short synopsis. It's this. She was concerned about students who didn't get called on in class, didn't participate much, and seemed to kind of shrink in their chairs and go unnoticed. Not surprisingly, a preponderance of those students were women. And her question was, are they being ignored or not called on or not participating because they're not confident? Are they shrinking because they're not confident? Or is it possible that it's the other way around, that they're not confident because they're shrinking. And that's Mm -hmm. what she set out to find out. And so she did it by testing for two hormones, cortisol, which is connected to stress, and testosterone, which is connected to confidence and dominance and really owning your space. And to cut to the chase, here's what she found. People who did two minutes, in what she calls a high-power pose, could increase their testosterone and decrease their cortisol significantly. And likewise, two minutes in low-power poses did the opposite. They increased cortisol, which is connected with stress, and decreased testosterone. High-power poses are taking up space. So if you think about Wonder Woman or Superman, depending on gender, That is a classic power pose, a way that um, often men sit in meetings. And, Nancy, I've done these kind of workshops with countless women, and every time they talk about how much they hate this. When you're in a meeting with a guy and he puts his hands, like laces his fingers behind his head so his elbows are jutting out, and he crosses one ankle over his knee so that his knee is jutting out. And Mm -hmm. and it sort of spreads himself out around the room. We hate it when guys do that. Yeah, I've seen that many times. Yeah, I'm sure you have. We've all seen it, and we all hate it. And why do we hate it? Because it is very, very dominant. When somebody does that pose, they're taking up as much space as they possibly could while seated in a chair. That is a power pose. And there are some others, both, and you can do power poses both seated or standing, but the common thread is you're taking up a lot of space. And low power poses are the opposite. They're shrinking. So when you'll see women who stand, even in front of a room when they're presenting, they'll cross one ankle in front of the other so their legs are kind of wound around each other and they get mm-hmm. kind of wobbly and very narrow. 
That's a low power pose. Hands folded in your lap with ankles crossed when you're seated, the way the nuns taught you to sit when you were in grade school. That's right. a low power pose. Yeah, is that familiar? This is how oh, absolutely. Sit. Right, when you have a dress on, cross your legs, put your hands in your lap. Yep. Yep, yep. So those are low power poses. So the rule of thumb is anything that pulls you in, makes you smaller, is a low power pose. Now, here's what's interesting. What they found, what she found, was when you change the posture, you literally change your body chemistry. So it's not just an emotional thing that you feel more confident when you occupy space. Your body chemistry literally changes. So you become more confident, more dominant, more assertive when you take up more space. Now, the way the practical application of this is not to go into a meeting with a client and, you know, sit like one of those guys who's the master of the universe. That would be (laughs) rude and offensive. (laughs) And women in particular would be very uncomfortable doing that. But before a meeting, that's how you prepare. Because what the research showed was that there's a lingering effect. In fact, it takes about, I want to say about 13 minutes for the shift to actually happen in body chemistry. So before an important phone call with a client, before your presentation, go into a private place and do the Wonder Woman pose or the victory stance with your arms up in a big Z. Any Mm. of those power poses beforehand will shift your body chemistry so that you feel more comfortable and more confident and less stressed when you go into a challenging situation. That's a great tip. And earlier you spoke about the little voice in your head. Basically, you know, you're not present and you're thinking about all these other things, the dinner you burnt last night, the fight you had with your husband this morning. So how do you control that little voice in your head? You know, it's a tough one, and I think it really is about making a decision. I do think that that any of these body exercises that I'm talking about will help because they bring me into the present. If I'm actually focused on my feet on the floor, there I, I start. It starts to crowd out some of that um, chatter. But a lot of it, I think, has to do with practice and making a decision. And what I have found for myself is that it gets easier with time, that I can have more, I guess, really a sense of more discipline about keeping my thoughts where I am and with the person I'm with. Um, It helps if they're interesting, of course. (laughs) That makes it easier. Mm. But. But it really is about deciding to do it and setting yourself up for success with some of these physical things because they do make it easier. Mm. And also knowing your stuff. I mean, that's an important part of confidence, too, is being comfortable uh, in your situation with with your knowledge, with, you know, what needs to happen, with what you're going to talk about, uh, what the meeting's about, really doing your homework. I think it's true. And I also think that for a lot of women in particular, um, knowing their stuff isn't enough. They they know their stuff, and yet they express it in ways that are kind of tentative. Um, I've been doing some research about this because of a workshop I have coming up. And 
it's been very interesting to do the reading about how women play small in business life. And one way is uh, having that question mark in the voice. So at the end Mm -hmm. of the sentence, we say this, and no matter how much I know, it sounds like I'm confused. Right. That kind of stuff um, undoes the impression that we try so hard to create that we know what we're talking about. And even when we do know what we're talking about it, it keeps us from sounding like it. And even the words we choose, we did a um, little, little mini workshop in one of our episodes here on the show a couple of weeks ago, and the words that you choose, uh, one of the recommendations was never to say I feel or I think or use the word just a little, just this, just that, mm-hmm. because it all makes it sound tentative. So what's your feeling about choosing your words? I think those are exactly right, those suggestions that you just gave. Staying away from um, minimizing language, just or only. Um, staying away from apologizing. Which Have you seen the Pantene video about I'm sorry? No. Oh, so you should, it's on YouTube. You know, Google Pantene I'm sorry and watch it. It's hilarious. It's a bunch <laughs> of women apologizing for stuff. <laughs> and then, because it's so common, right? Mm. There's, there's a, I, I read an article in Harvard Business Review where they interviewed a bunch of men and women in corporate life. And what the, the, what the men said about the women is they allow themselves to be interrupted, apologize repeatedly, and fail to back up opinions with evidence. Mm. Even I our answering was- machine. Yeah, even our answering machine. I'm sorry, I'm not here right now. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that instead of taking the responsibility for interrupting, which I think men interrupt women, well, there's research about that. Men do interrupt women way more frequently than the other way around. But Mm -hmm. instead of saying, oh, we interrupt women, they said, oh, no, women let themselves be interrupted. And and that has to do with not holding the floor, you know, not – and when I say hold the floor, I mean metaphorically, like you have the floor, meaning you can speak. But think back to what I said earlier about planting your feet on the floor. It's another way to hold the floor. It's all connected, right? How the language we use, the metaphors we use for having a strong presence are reflected in the way we use our body and our voice. So... It's not that we we do allow ourselves to be interrupted, and it's because we have tiny little voices and we talk with a question mark and we minimize what we do and we apologize. Right, right. No wonder men come barreling in with some other point of view or with our point of view that suddenly they get credit for. Isn't that the most right. frustrating thing in the world? Oh, and that that happens a lot too. And, and I think that women don't speak as uh, concise, direct, and, you know, to the point as men do sometimes. And I find all I can think of is the Charlie Brown cartoon where uh, Lucy is talking and the words are simply lost and all that Charlie Brown and Linus hear is blah, 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 blah. And I think that we're guilty of that sometimes because we, you know, we're not concise. We're not to the point. We're not clear in the language we use. We don't get right to the heart of it. And people tune out. 
I think that's true. And I have really, you know, I was studying this way back 20 years ago, trying to figure out, is it because we're doing something wrong or because it's, it's all about the, the way it's perceived. And I think it's a little of both. I mean, I think there are hallmarks of what could be called a more female communication style that actually are valuable and we don't want to lose. Um, collaboration, cooperation, listening. One of the reasons people tend to end that sentence with a question mark is we're checking for understanding. What that question mark in my voice really means is, are you with me? Mm-hmm. The the difficulty is that it becomes a habit. We do it all the time, and it starts to undermine our sense of confidence. So, um, so I think if we're going to coexist with men, we don't have to sound like men. I, I'm not an advocate of turn myself into a guy. I do think we need to sound like full-grown adult women and not like a bunch of teenagers at the mall talking with our hands and throwing our head around and with that, you know, that like that. <laughs> That's where we, when we bring that into the into the corporate life or business life, that gets us into trouble. But I do think that the notion of creating space for the other person to talk or using language that is more collaborative than competitive should not be lost. And in fact, men would do well to emulate us in that regard. Yes, they would. And... Let's talk a little bit about... I'm not sure about, how we're going to make that happen, though. <laughs> I'm not either. If we had the answer to that, that would solve a lot of problems, business and personal. <laughs> but let's, let's talk a little bit about the rest of your presence. Um, you've got to look the part. You've got to look the part. So can you comment a little bit about that? One of the ways people judge us is how is our appearance. And... It's a minefield, you know. I speak with women often, with groups of women, uh, and and people can get on board with getting grounded, having straighter posture, um, even with the voice stuff, although I do run into pushback often from women who um, are afraid, not without, not without reason, afraid of being called a bitch. Interestingly, I hear that most often from people who are so far away from any danger of being called a bitch. Like they really have softened themselves too much in a quest not to be considered hard, aggressive, or bitchy. So I get pushed back about that. But the the real minefield is about dress and and that aspect of appearance. I think in general, if we want to appear stronger more powerful, more present, we we really don't want our dress to be a distraction. So we want it to enhance who we are but not pull away attention from who we are. And so I come down on the side of more conservative equals more powerful. Mm-hmm. There is a certain power in displaying beautiful bodies. I don't think it's the power that we want in business, though. And I think we're better off to be more conservative. And I don't mean, I'm not an advocate of going back to those days in the 80s when we wore little bows <laughs> and suits mm. and stuff, which which some of us are old enough to remember. Um, so it's not about dressing like men, but it is about um, dressing for business. Mm. 
And it's a little challenging, I think, in today's business environment. I'm going to date myself now, too. But, you know, back in the day, you wore a suit, period, or a dress. Um, But now when you can wear slacks and we have things like business casual and, you know, it becomes a lot more confusing. Even the men even have it easier in that regard because business casual is typically, you know, a, a, a decent shirt, no tie and a nice pair of slacks. But women have so many options that it just makes it very difficult to know what's appropriate. Do you think? It does make it difficult. Yeah, I do think. And I think in general, Here's, here's just a rule of thumb. A third piece polishes any outfit. So that means it has a jacket of some sort with it or a sweater, but a jacket will be more powerful. And, you, and what you want is definition. So when I wear things, I worked years ago, I worked with a client who um, it worked for a pharmaceutical company, and, they, and she was very smart. They wanted to promote her, and they were concerned about her lack of leadership present and so she was in for some coaching around that and her look was soft and fuzzy she had big curly hair and she was wearing literally when I met her she was wearing a big fuzzy sweater and everything Mm -hmm. about her was like cuddly that's not the look you want from an EVP right Right. you're not looking for cuddles you're looking for a little bit of authority and so the, the way she dressed was perfectly appropriate for some positions, but not for the position she wanted. And I don't think that's going to change. I know that there are women who think it's not fair. We should be able to wear anything we want. Nobody should judge it. You know, don't judge a book by its cover and all of that jazz. I think subtle impressions are sent by color, shape, angles, and you can't go wrong putting on a jacket, whether you're wearing a dress or pants or a skirt in the top. If you put on a jacket, you will look more polished and you want shoulder seams. It's the seams right there that make it not. Now, and I'm not going back to the shoulder pads we used to wear. Not that. But, <laughs> Although they, but even they made seam, you look thinner. <laughs> they did. They, I, I kind of miss those. I hung on to them long after they went out of style. Um, <laughs> but the seam just makes enough of an angle that now I'm just not big and round and soft and cuddly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what about specific colors? Are there any colors that are more powerful than others? Um, well, you know, they say red is a power color. And I have read that speakers should stay away from red because people looking at red for a long time will see, you know, will seem angry or it will engender anger. Um, I'm not so sure. I think, I think in general, you know, more... Um, Neutral colors are probably, uh, well, I don't know, now that I said that, I know a lot of women who look fabulous in royal blue or or red or jade green, you know, something that is a strong, bright, vibrant color. Mm. Pastels, you know, if you're, so here's the thing, you, everything is about, in, in, in terms of how, what your presence is like, everything is about balance. So at my age, which is advanced, I feel like I can wear anything and nobody, I don't look juvenile. Mm-hmm. If only I were lucky enough to look juvenile. But if my client is 24, I'm going to steer her away from baby pink. Okay. Because mm-hmm. it will emphasize youth. And in business, you know, women are in a bind here because in our social lives, youth is 
advantageous and cherished, and we wish we still had it. But in business, youth equals inexperience. So if I'm 26, I don't really want to highlight my inexperience. And I would stay away from puffy sleeves or um, baby pink or blue, you know, that kind of stuff that really looks young. I think Mm -hmm. it's not as much an issue for older women. Interesting. All right, we're going to take another quick break. And um, when we come back, um, let's talk about how women hold themselves back. Mm -hmm. So we'll we'll be right back with Catherine. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is, you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support, wisdom, and new customers. eWomen Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs who have been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the contacts, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners, such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the eWomen Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details, visit eWomenNetwork.com. Are you a small business owner with a big vision? Does every day require too much of your personal involvement to take the next step? At Simple Small Business Solutions, we offer consulting and coaching to align your business reality with your vision for the future. Simple Small Business Solutions can help you put the pieces in place to get there. Clear your plate, reclaim your time, Get the freedom and flexibility you need to achieve your next success. Contact us at simplesmallbusinesssolutions.com. Are you tired of playing small in business or in your career? What could you accomplish if you were seen, heard, and given the opportunity? If you want more influence, more impact, and more income, join us at Women's Leadership U. That's the letter U. We are a mastermind program dedicated to preparing women for leadership roles. Learn the skills that employers are looking for and business owners need. Gain the confidence and know how to move your ideas into action. To learn more, visit us at womensleadershipu.com with a capital U. This is the EWN Radio Network. Okay, we're back with Catherine Johns, and we're talking about how to have a strong presence. And Catherine, how do women hold themselves back? We've talked a little bit about voice. We've talked about dress. Uh, we've talked about the words you choose. Are there other ways? Well, I think the big one is the words you choose. And something that we didn't touch on but I wanted to mention is I often hear women negate their idea before they say it. So, in other words, we'll use a runway phrase like, uh, you've probably already thought about this, but, I mean, this is only my opinion I don't know for sure, but I'm kind of thinking those introductions almost guarantee that people will not take our next thought seriously because really Mm. you just signal that they don't need to take it seriously. Now, 
my guess is when we do that, we're really, this is about being collaborative and conciliatory and we don't want to be bossy and we don't want to take over. We want it to be a group conversation, et cetera. Let's just assume it comes from the best of motives. But I think how it comes across to people is that we're being tentative. um, We're not um, sure of ourselves or we're not really standing behind, behind our position. Mm-hmm. I read a hilarious article, and I want to say it was on LinkedIn someplace. It just cracked me up. It was written by some woman who worked for Morgan Stanley. And she said, if Morgan Stanley decided tomorrow to do um, a project about breastfeeding, the women of Morgan Stanley would be saying, well, I don't know. I've only had three kids. I don't know that much about breastfeeding. And the men would be saying, my wife breastfed a baby. I could tell you anything. (laughs) But isn't that true? That's exactly how we do it. This is how we hold ourselves back. We say we, we discount our knowledge, our experience. We always think we need one more credential or one more project or one more piece of experience. And, and we discount the work that we've done and the knowledge that we have. Or we have Men to be are not perfect in that way. Right. Or we have to know everything, be perfect, know how to do it, pat, be the best at it before we can put ourselves out there to do it. Yeah, exactly right. And I find so that a lot it, with clients. Yeah. I do too. And so getting out of those habits is challenging because they are habits. Um, but they can be changed. And part of it is to slow myself down before I speak and actually think about what I'm going to say. And when I catch myself in one of those minimizing or negating phrases to just zip it, don't let those words come out of my mouth. And mm-hmm. as your earlier guest suggested, just make my suggestion. Don't say, it's probably not right, or I don't know if it's right, or you might not like this, but just say it. Just put it out there. And then put it out an there. important piece of that, and this is true for men and women both, there are a few things more powerful than a pause. So whether you're speaking in front of a big group or it's a one-on-one conversation or a meeting around a conference table, when you say your point of view or you say your your proposal or you say your suggestion and then you just stop talking, it gives the words weight. And if instead you kind of repeat yourself because maybe they didn't quite understand it, you say it in a little bit different way, and then you kind of say, well, you look around, you don't see everybody smiling, so you start to wonder Maybe they didn't get it or maybe that and you just go on and on and on. The power just drains right out of it. Mm, you almost get in a defensive position then at that point. Yes, that happens. So a huge, huge piece of having a stronger presence is being quiet. <laughs> just having the nerve to sit and be still for even a moment. And you can see how that would get people's attention because in today's world, there's so much noise out there. Everybody's talking at once. Everybody's trying to get their words in. And if you make a statement and then just stop, um, you know, you can see how that would get attention. Yeah, it really does give weight to the words. It's the same way that, you know, if you think about 
um, for people who are highly visual, it helps to think of this as white space. If you're on the wall, you would likely put a mat around it because the mat is the white space that draws the eye to the art. So you need that separation from everything else in order for the artwork to stand out. And it's the same way with words. When you put a pause around your words, you draw the ear to the words. You give them weight. You make them more substantial. You make them stand out. And that's what music is all about. It's the space between the notes that really make the melody. Yeah, absolutely. So same thing. And yeah. Yeah, it is the all same right. thing. And it so okay. I get I get grounded, I choose my words carefully, I stop putting a question mark at the end of my sentences, I do this, I do that. How do I pull all this off without appearing phony or inauthentic? You know, I think of this as learning any other skill. It's the same way I mentioned earlier playing the piano. Um, but you could you could use tennis as a metaphor or almost anything you might learn to do. You learn it in pieces. So you might learn where to put your feet on the court, and then you'd learn how to hold the racket. Then you'd learn how to how to stand, when to face your opponent, when to turn sideways. Then you'd practice some moves. And at first, all of them would feel artificial, and then with practice, they would come together and flow, and you would become an excellent tennis player. I think it's very similar. We're talking about physical skills that can be learned, and at first they might feel awkward or different or not your habit. But when you practice them each and then string them together, it adds up to a more powerful presence that is perceived by the people around you. This makes perfect. There you go. And I don't think it's phony. I think it's, you know, it, it's um, so instead of thinking about it as putting on a mask or putting on a costume, think about it as taking off layers of stuff that isn't really yours. These habits we've developed, like um, doubting our own thoughts or talking with that little tinny voice out of the top of our head or any of those things, or sitting the way we were taught in grade school to fold our hands in our lap, that that's not necessarily natural. That's all learned. And so maybe developing a presence is really about eliminating some of that um, some of that covering that that is hiding who we really can be. I love that. And that's, you know, that's awesome when you think about it. Yeah, we're we're taught to do all these things. We're we have our shoulds, our shouldn'ts, and you know, if that's what is ruling us, then we're definitely coming across as inauthentic anyway. So, why not peel back those layers and be yourself? Uh there's probably a lot more power in that just because it's easier to do. Totally. It's like your glorious self gets to come out of hiding. Very interesting. Now, we've talked a lot about women, but there are men who need more confidence and charisma too, aren't there? There absolutely are. And and really the same kinds of things apply. I, You know, the language habits we were talking about are more common among women, but in certain companies, so I've done consulting work in companies where the corporate culture is very focused on being nice. And a big insurance company in Bloomington comes to mind where it's not like, okay, so I've done work on Wall Street where people are, the, the culture is to be aggressive and competitive. 
And then I've done work in the Midwest at companies where the culture is to be more convivial, more collegial. And the men there tend to be less powerful, just like the women, because they have, um, in a sense, I don't know whether it's that the company goes out and hires people who are softer or that it takes people's edges away so they become softer over time. It's probably a combination of both. But certainly there are men who don't have a really powerful presence. And to get it, they want to do exactly the same things we were talking about. So instead of slouching around with their hands in the pockets of their khakis, they want to stand up straight and take up space and own it instead of softening their voice and kind of dropping off at the end of a sentence like this, they want to come to a period and pause. They want to look people in the eye. Eye contact is a huge way that we express engagement, interest, and authority or confidence. So those are just a few things that apply equally to men and women. And all of the things we've been talking about today really are not just for people who are planning to be speakers or run workshops or uh, give presentations at work. This really is for everyone all the time, isn't it? It really is. You know, I, I um, when I wrote Show Up and Shine, I was really focused on professional life. But it is quite handy when you're having a conversation with you know, somebody in the PTA to have a strong presence or when you're having a squabble with the electric company or whatever, right? In our ordinary life, there are all kinds of times when it serves us well to be taken seriously. And to the extent that we want to be taken seriously, having a more powerful presence is in our favor. And we talk a lot about how uh, women don't feel like they're taken seriously. They don't feel like they're seen. They don't feel like they're heard. And therefore, they don't feel like they're taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And so, so making sure that I'm heard is one way to be taken more seriously. And are we still going to run into the occasional jerk? Absolutely. You know, the truth mm-hmm. is there are sexists. There are guys who are pigs. There are in corporate environments or professional environments that are toxic. I'm not denying that any of that exists. I do think that we set ourselves up for a better experience if we start from a sense of personal power. And it's really, it really comes down to being able to influence and have an impact, whether you are working on a committee at the PTA or handling um, something in your community or whether you're, working in business or have your own business. Anytime you need to influence people, you need to be able to talk with them in a direct and powerful way to make your points and to stand up for what you stand for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I work with my clients to do. And it's exciting, Nancy, to see the changes that people make, you know, to start with somebody who has kind of a small, tiny presence and watch them um, blossom and eliminate habits that they've picked up and and start to really be who they actually can be. It's thrilling. So, Catherine, if people wanted to learn more about what you do and wanted to speak with you about perhaps working with you, where would could they find you and what kinds of things do you offer for your clients? 
So the place to find me would be my website, which is katherinejohns.com. It's Catherine with a C. And um, and my book is on Amazon. You could go to Amazon and search for Show Up and Shine, and it's available in the paper book, paperback and the audio version and Kindle, so easy to get to. Um, I do group workshops. In fact, I have one coming up called Find Your Voice, which is about some of the things that we've been talking about here. And I also do one-on-one coaching. I coach people who want to be speakers in the front of the room um, because they want to grow their business, because they know that it's the best way for a small business owner to attract clients. And I also coach women, mainly in corporate environments, who are looking to be promoted or they've just been promoted and they really need to have a persona that matches the title they're just getting or the title that they want. Great. So uh, to kind of wrap it up, can you give our listeners two or three tips uh, for people that want to come across with more power and pizzazz? Ooh, gosh, I might have used up all my good tips. So I'm going (laughs) to say the things, the the two things, like I always say when I do presentation skills classes, that eye contact is the biggest factor in, in coming across with power and presence. So if you have issues with eye contact, if it's hard for you to look people in the eye and hold that for a moment, that's something to work on. And you likely don't know if you have an issue with it. I, there is a story that we probably don't have time to hear now about me not realizing that I had terrible troubles with eye contact and didn't even know it. So that would be the number one thing to really work on. Get comfortable looking somebody in the eye and expressing your thoughts. And notice when you feel that urge to look away, is it because you're awkward, embarrassed, saying something personal, uh, you fear disapproval? What comes up for you that makes you want to look away? That's one. And the pause is the other. What we said um, I I have a friend whose husband is a minister, and he said this so well, I'm going to steal it from him. He said, lay your egg and get off the nest. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Isn't that great? Like, make a point and shut up. And when I master that, my power goes up exponentially. Mm -hmm. And what about smiling? I, I think smiling is so important. Mm, smiling is a landmine, a minefield. Um, so here's the deal. Women smile more than men. And as women move up in corporate environments, they smile less. I don't think it's because they're crabby. I think it's because they no longer have that desperate need to please. So think about this, Nancy. How many women have had the experience of some guy, some random stranger in a hallway, on a bus, at a water fountain, walking up to them and saying, smile. You'd be so much prettier if you'd smile. How come you're not (laughs) smiling? The answer is all of us, right? A hundred percent of women have had that happen more than Mm. once. And yet, men never go up to other men and say, smile, right? Right. I would deck them. So... There's a cultural expectation that women should be decorative and make other people feel good. 
I'm not opposed to being pretty or making people feel good, but I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think that we need to take that on as our ethical responsibility. So smiling is, is a great tool for establishing a relationship, a warm smile when things are amusing, when you want to connect with somebody, absolutely smiling is fabulous. And when you feel that pressure to smile because otherwise somebody else is going to be uncomfortable, it's not really your business whether they're uncomfortable. And you are under no obligation to fix it. And so there's something about owning my power which allows me to smile only when I choose. Mm. Does that sound antisocial? No, it's interesting, though, because um, I could see where you don't want to look like a people pleaser. Um, So if smiling in that moment doesn't really project any power or confidence, probably you need to be a little sparing with your smiles. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, And it's, you know, contrary to most advice. I will say this gets really murky, but for me, as as I'm getting older, you know, I know that I look crabby. And there's a whole, I don't know if you've read about resting bitch face, but there's a whole, uh, <laughs> there's a whole thing about this resting bitch face. Um, so as I get older, I have deeper lines beside my mouth, and I am prone to look cranky if I'm not smiling. I don't really want to look cranky. And so I'm, I've actually been working to to look more pleasant to smile more often and particularly when I'm on stage it is to my advantage when I'm in front of an audience not to look angry or crabby Um, so I've got that whole pressure going for younger women in particular though the kind of the impulse to smile just to ingratiate myself is is really not it doesn't support power Mm -hmm. and and so I think using it sparingly as you said is actually a good way to think about it very interesting. Yeah. And not to feel burdened by every guy who randomly walks up to you and says, how come you're not smiling? How come he's not smiling? And how come yeah. nobody asks him? There you go. Uh, just turn it right back around. <laughs> uh, well, we are almost out of time. Catherine, thank you so much. I know our listeners enjoyed hearing all your tips and how to have a much stronger presence as they try and make their impact in the world. So thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Nancy. It was a powerful pleasure. And we will uh, see everyone on our next episode. Until then, have a great week.